Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Hello and welcome to The Drinking Hour here on Food FM with me, David Kermode. This week, our own take on Grand Designs Revisited because we're heading back to Cambridge to talk to Chris Wilson, who set up his own urban winery in a former windmill in the city centre in Cambridge just over a year ago. Uh, It's been a challenging year, of course, uh, but he is reaping the rewards of his hard work with some serious critical acclaim. We'll hear all about it. Plus, as ever, your recommendations for medal winners from the IWSC Hall of Fame. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. It seems like only yesterday that we talked to journalist and critic Chris Wilson about setting up his own urban winery in Cambridge. In fact, it was almost a year ago. Back then, he was yet to release a single wine under his Gusser and Stars label. Now he has three under his belt with a host more in the offing and a barrel load of critical acclaim to boot. A few people I've spoken to, and these are those with the experienced palates who really do know what they're talking about, uh, have dared to suggest that the third of his wines to be released, a Chardonnay, might actually be the best yet produced in England, which is quite something. Uh, words like sensational, exceptional, Burgundian are bandied about. Um, I've tasted that particular wine and I can see why they might uh, say all of those things, actually. Uh, So how is he feeling and what does he have planned? Well, he joins us now uh, from the uh, Gutter and Stars Winery in Cambridge. Um, Hello, Chris. Hi, David. Great to hear from you again. Welcome to the drinking hour or welcome back, (laughs) I should say. Uh, So then uh, you've had some um, amazing feedback on the wines and um, these aren't just sort of mates doing this these, these are people who you know as I said have really serious experienced palates um, I mean some of them aren't even especially polite so they, they wouldn't feel the need to be polite about your wines necessarily uh, as lovely as you are so you must be feeling dead chuffed yeah I mean it's always great to, to hear feedback on the wines um, from from critics, it's wonderful to hear, and from friends and from um, customers. So, you know, it's uh, it's lovely when you read something that's been, you know, nicely crafted about something that you've actually crafted yourself. And quite often I've, throughout my career, I've been on the other side of that table, so to speak. So it's nice to actually sit down and, and, and read things and not have to write them. I was going to say, is it um, a bit weird um, sort of reading stuff about wine that you have made when the shoes were on the uh, the other feet previously? I mean, to begin with, yes, uh, a, a little bit. But, um, you know, that's um, that's the nature of the game. And, it, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 take, um, I take all criticism, um, good or bad, um, on the chin or, um, you know, tuck it under my arm and, and, and shout about it. And um, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of it. And, and I really enjoy hearing feedback on the wines. And um, it's been mostly positive. 
which obviously has been has been great for me and and really puts me in a good position for you know the the future releases that should be you know coming out in the next sort of six to twelve months. Well, it really does. Uh, it was, as I said, almost a year ago that we were talking about uh, back then some of the more mundane realities of setting up an urban winery in a former windmill. Um, the nearest we actually got to the wine at the time was admiring your uh, funky labels, which uh, were just a, a design project at that point. Now there are wines. Just um, remind us, for those who, who didn't hear you last time, what you were trying to achieve. I've, it's an itch I wanted to scratch, having having studied wine making and having made wine in, in various parts of the world, in, in Napa Valley, in, in, in Germany and in, in the UK. Um, I was keen to do my own thing and um, very briefly found a great opportunity to set up Gutter and Stars in a in the basement of an old windmill in um, Chesterton in Cambridge, which is about half a mile from the city centre, very close to where I live. Managed to hook up with a with a grower in the Crouch Valley in Essex, and the first three wines were released last year: a Bacchus, a Pinot Noir, and a Chardonnay. Um, and yeah, the the reception has been brilliant. Um, I, as well as as you know, crafting the wines, I, I had put a keen uh, attention to the names of the wines and the labels and the artwork and that side of things because that's that's something I'm passionate about as well um, and that's actually what I'm looking at now for the future releases this is kind of a quiet time in the winery itself so sort of January February time is when I'm looking and working with my designer on on sort of upcoming labels and and things that will hopefully catch people's eyes over the next 12 months we'll go through each of the wines in a, a moment and uh I wanted to ask you about the names because this is all inspired by your love for music uh, and uh, your background as a, a, a journalist in the music world as well. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So uh, going through the, uh, the the names, if um, the first one to be released, that was uh, a Bacchus and that's I Want to Be Adored and it sold out uh, in in hours um, I was too late. So, so I never got to taste this one. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it had a really good reception. Why did you go for Bacchus first? Bacchus is, a, it, it's probably not, a, certainly wasn't 12 months ago or, you know, two years ago on the top of my list of, of wines I wanted to make. Uh, but it grows really well in England and I've tasted some really decent Bacchus over the years. Um, and I was offered some fruit in really good condition tasting really good the numbers were good in terms of the acids and the sugars so i thought i'm going to i'm going to make i'm going to try and make a wine from this that, that that's perhaps slightly different to what certainly i perceived bacchus to be which was quite could be quite blousy and floral and um quite um high acid but also um with a with a sort of sort of throwaway um hedgerow sort of character to it i wanted to do something slightly different and i fermented it in oak and matured it in oak and was quite an oxidative process. So I tried to, to make something that didn't have that sort of hedgerow aroma to it. And I kind of think it worked. Um, it's an interesting wine. It, it sold out very quickly, perhaps because it was the first wine I'd, I'd released. And I've got more backers to come because it's I, I want to kind of try and repeat that this year. Well, it got a, a, a really good reception. I often find uh, Bacchus a bit nettly, and it's sometimes described as as England's Sauvignon Blanc. But I suspect that's a, a bit of a generalisation, isn't it, that one? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as a sort of, as a, as a phrase or a way to give, give people an idea of what it might be, I don't think it's too off the mark, certainly for some wines that are made, some English backers. Um, it's certainly on that spectrum, but um, it can be 
made in myriad styles. I've got an orange Bacchus in in tank at the moment, so that should be very different indeed. Right. Okay. Uh, this is one of your projects to come. And for the benefit of those, most people, I, I think, listening will will know uh, what orange means. But uh, for the benefit of those that don't, that's just you're giving it skin contact, right? Absolutely. So a, a white wine made in a similar way that you'd make a red wine. So it ferments on, on the skins. Okay, that's very exciting. And the name I Want to Be Adored, by the way, uh, that's uh, presumably inspired by the Stone Roses? It is, yeah. It's the Stone yeah. Roses track. I was a big fan of theirs growing up, still am. Um, I'm not particularly on board with some of Ian Brown's crazy um, protestations about vaccines and stuff at the moment, but there we go. Um, the music uh, is good. And um, that was a nod to Bacchus being slightly unfashionable and sort of the sort of go-to English grape. It sort of it was screaming, "I want to be loved." So um, I sort of thought I'd stick that on the label and see where we go from there. Aha! Uh-huh. So uh, I was going to ask you this because it's not just a case of choosing names you like from tracks you like or lyrics you like. That you're you're thinking this through with a view to to to, to it meaning something when people taste what's in the glass, basically. Yeah, to to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, some are better fits than others, but um, for that, it was. I thought it worked quite nicely with with what I was trying to say. Let's go on to your second wine, uh, which uh, you write a, a really lovely kind of occasional diary, I suppose you might say, for the buyer, uh, for which I also write regularly. And uh, you talk about um, the journey, if you like, to use the overused um, term that we're so familiar with these days. And you described the Pinot Noir, uh, your second wine, as your, that's hope is a good swimmer, isn't it? Uh, your your difficult second album, potentially. But it, it went, again, sold out very quickly and seems to be received very well. Yeah, I mean, that's a nod to the, yeah, the, uh, you know, when you, when, I, I've never been in a band properly, you know, played the guitar with some friends now and again. But um, yeah, you write, you, you've, you've got 16, 20, however long it takes you to write your first album that many years and then you've got to put the second one out in nine months um so there's a bit of pressure and for me i did feel a bit of pressure with the pinot because not only was it the second wine and the first one had, had gone very quickly um but it was it was a grape that i think people are more familiar with a more serious grape let's say um so i wanted to get it right and um i was thrilled with the reception and i think it worked really well it was um it was a sort of young juicy early release pinot serious to a point but it wasn't you know, wasn't something that I wanted to aspire it to be something, you know, that that you could necessarily put down for, for a length of time or any sort of nod to to other winemaking regions that are famous for Pinot Noir. It, it kind of is what it is. Juicy, fresh, easy drinking, but I think delicious too. And hope is a good swimmer. Uh, where is uh, this one coming from? Because I'm struggling slightly on the, uh, yeah, on the music um, front for this one. So this is another Manchester band, a band called James, but it's a misheard lyric. It's a lyric that I... I was singing wrongly for a number of years. The lyric itself is Hope, she's a good swimmer. And it's 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 reference to a, a character in the song. But I quite liked Hope is a good swimmer. You know, we, we were in the middle of uh, difficult times when this wine was released uh, in terms of uh, the pandemic and the fact that people were struggling in, in various ways. And I thought that Hope was something that we could all be uh, all, all uh, attuned to. And I think you know, Hope will will out the good will out yeah that's uh, that's a really nice uh message actually and uh 
Uh, yeah, James, that's as in sit down I'm, and, and so yes. forth. Uh, yes, Right. Yes. Okay. All right. I was really struggling with that one. Okay. And then the, the third wine, which um, is, is the one that uh, I mentioned in the introduction as has been described as yeah, possibly the best Chardonnay ever in England, Daylight Upon Magic. Uh, this was released, uh, I think, uh, was it just in the run up to Christmas? Yeah, mid-November. And I'll read you uh, some of the things that have been said about it. So a profound Chablis-like Chardonnay with the precision to go with, in this case, Pembroke Lobster. That's because it's written by a chef, Roger Jones. Um, exceptional yep. wine, he said. Uh, and and it, yeah, he's got a, an amazing palate. Uh, this Essex Chardonnay is bloody fantastic. It tastes like something lean and chiselled from Margaret River. Uh, again, high praise. Uh, perhaps the best English Chardonnay I've ever had, said Henry Jeffries. And uh, Henry is uh, definitely someone who, who sort of speaks his mind. And then uh, Helen McGinn, knackered mother. It's a total peach, literally ripe peach fruit flavours, along with a trace of toasty oak made from Essex-grown grapes. This is all, you know, this has been incredibly well received, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, um, I was thrilled to, with all of those reviews. Uh, I quite enjoyed uh, when Henry uh, Henry wrote something on, on the wine. He, he I think he sort of preambled it with, uh, I'm always a bit wary when uh, someone I know or a journalist sends me, <laughs> sends me something they've made and I have to yeah. try and be polite about it. So um, I was I was pleased that he didn't have to be polite. He was, you know, he was honest and I loved his Margaret River reference because, you know, that's great. That That really made my day. Yeah, I bet it did. Um, just do the name for us then, because uh, I'm, I'm struggling a bit with this one as well. So this isn't a musical reference, um, Daylight Upon Magic. It's, it's, um, it's, a, it's something you need to really look up to get the full, full details of it. It's, it's something that was said about um, the royal family, actually, and, uh, and the way they go about their business about oh. whether we should as a society let daylight in upon the magic of of of, uh, of the royal family personally i think we should um but uh, for me it was more about along the lines of um and there's a quote on the back of the label from leonard cohen from his song um, anthem there is a crack in everything that's how the light gets in we're all flawed and there's beauty in that yeah and actually letting uh daylight in on the uh royal family it's a bit like the wizard of oz arguably isn't it but uh <laughs> hey ho uh, but the wine is it, it's it's a lovely name i have to say for um a chardonnay uh, there is just something about daylight upon magic and a really beautiful chardonnay that kind of works really well and and this i i would agree you know from, from the taste i had just pre-christmas uh with um roger about this sort of shabbly kind of quality there it, it, it's 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 really fantastic this is all fruit uh all three of these wines uh is fruit coming from the crouch valley in essex is that right yeah that's correct yeah from a vineyard called missing gate vineyard planted in 2018 so it's all young fruit but um they're, they're in a great spot there the river crouch sort of running down their, their vineyards run down to the river to the uh the crouch and they've got a really lovely aspect and um it's it's a super spot and uh, you mentioned uh, when we spoke a, a year ago that you'd likened the crouch valley to to napa uh, and of course you worked in napa as a uh, making wine uh, as you mentioned earlier and last year when you were talking about it you said you you kind of almost glibly said it um and then kind of thought about it a bit more afterwards and thought well maybe maybe that's right maybe it is um it it, it does seem to be getting a lot of attention the crouch valley yeah i mean it was a tongue-in-cheek remark um and um you know uh i think that 
the attention being focused on that part of the world, on Essex and on the Crouch Valley in particular, is absolutely justified. There's some fantastic wine being made there um, and the growers there and the viticulturists are really pushing things in terms of what they're trying to achieve with still wines, um, which is something we've not seen in, in England, certainly in recent years. It's all been about sparkling. So for a, for a, 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 a county and a region to really sort of say we are going to produce the best grapes for still wines in, in the UK, um, I think that's, that's really good. And it, it works for me because they're just down the road. When you mentioned the Crouch Valley, when we spoke a year ago, I have to confess, um, I I'd, uh, don't think I'd ever heard of it uh, or I'd scarcely heard of it. And, and since then, you know, I've, I've then read Oz Clark's book on English wine um, and he's a you know, massive evangelist, as you'll know, uh, for English wine generally, but for the Crouch Valley uh, specifically. Uh, what makes it so special? Because it's in the east of England, it's um, it's relatively dry. The Most of our weather comes f- from the Atlantic across the country. So by the time we get to Essex and Norfolk, um, most of the rain has, has disappeared. So you know, in terms of... Um, uh, rainfall it's it's relatively dry compared to other areas um it, it, can, it that the river crouch itself and, and the valley there can produce some there are there are some real hot spots there you know I'll, I'll be driving down from cambridge for example and it'll tell me in my car that it's you know 18 degrees and i'll stand in the vineyard and it'll be 22 degrees because of just just the topography of the, of the place and the way that the um the sun hits it it's big big open skies on on hot sunny days so it, it's great for growing grapes the soils are, are interesting and good there's a lot of london clay which um previously wasn't thought to be something that you could grow brilliant fruit on brilliant grapes on but actually it's turned out to be um a sort of you know the ace in the pack for essex really it's it has has properties which are fantastic for for vines do you share the concern of some that too many vineyards are actually being planted in England and Wales at the moment? If I was a sort of producer landowner um, and um, I was looking to to do it that way, um, I would certainly be planting vineyards at the moment and to try and increase production. But from a from a sort of urban wine winemaker's point of view, I think it's I think the balance, from what I can understand, is a, is is good at the moment. There's enough. There's enough demand for that fruit, be it from people like me, small people who, who take tons of fruit here and there, or um, bigger guys who are producing wine um, and buying fruit from around the UK to do that. I think the, the demand is there. There may come a point where it's um, it's saturated, but I don't think we're anywhere close to that at the moment. And what sort of, what do you have to bear in mind when you're choosing fruit? Because uh, you're not growing it, as you say, um, so you, you don't have that level of control um, over uh, the fruit. So, what are you kind of looking for? I mean, we'll st- we start with variety, and then we look at um, the different clones that that are available, and and those those things are important. And then, as the growing season progresses, the key the key figures, the key numbers um, are you know you're looking at sugars and acids, but also phenolic ripeness as well. So it's not just about how much sugar there is accumulated in the grape. It's it's how the grape tastes, how the um, how the, the the skins and the seeds have developed over the growing season, and whether they're actually uh, they've got to the point where they have the, the, the whole grape is ripe rather than just the the, num- the reading you get for say sugar or for, for acid so uh, working with growers who are, who are keen and and um, in a position to perhaps leave fruit a little bit longer if you wanted to get some extra sugar or to 
train their vines slightly differently um, on an ongoing basis so they can produce fruit that that hits the the right numbers for for the for the uh, the winemakers so even though it's not your land um, you're uh, the customer as as it were you're, you're pretty involved in the process of what's going on in the vineyard uh, I still. mean yes yeah up, up to a point um, obviously it's 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 not my decision but um, I have a chat with with the growers and I, I we discuss what I would like and we we sort of and then we we, we just see what's realistic and that changes week to week or month to month from that from, at this point of the year there's you know not much happening in terms of we don't know quite yet where where we're going to be but come sort of august september time there's lots of phone calls and there's lots of numbers flying around and it's good to work with growers who are keen to be on the same wavelength as you in terms of, of what you'd like to receive so you alluded to the orange Bacchus uh, that's on its way. What else is on the way? Yes, yeah, so I've got an orange Bacchus coming perhaps June this year. And before that, I'll release the um, Bacchus, non-orange Bacchus. Um, so that will be um, barrel fermented Bacchus, similar in style to I Want to Be Adored. It'll have a different name this year. I've also got Pinot Noir and a field blend which is from fruit from uh, a, a grower i've worked with for the first time last year um, a guy called ed mitchum who's based in uh didcot in oxfordshire and that's a blend of ortega and bacchus and um i tasted that last week and it's yeah, it's, it's tasting really good i mean that's my favorite of all the wines in barrel at the moment Oh, wow. Uh, Ortega is um, a, a great variety that not everyone will be uh, familiar with. Um, it's used in England um, historically quite a bit, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's been here a while. Um, there's the, you know, it's, it's one of those handful of handful of varieties that were planted a lot in the 70s and 80s, coming from Germany originally. Uh, it's a cross of Muller-Turgau and I always pronounce this wrong, um, Sieg Reba. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's really interesting. It's It ripens well. It's got a sort of waxy, um, fleshy character to it. Um, and it lends itself to various things. So I, ideally, I wanted to make a, an orange Ortega, uh, but there wasn't enough fruit last year. So it ended up in a blend, which I'm very happy with. Uh, in the future, I'd like to experiment and make some different styles of wine with it. You mentioned uh, a lack of fruit last year. The 2021 harvest, it, it uh, wasn't that great around uh, Europe, was it? I can't speak for uh, elsewhere other than from uh, England, really. But um, it wasn't it wasn't great for, for still wine producers. Or the there was the, there was high demand on the fruit because there was less fruit than than we were hoping for, and the fruit itself was compared to the previous year lower in sugar higher in acid um and there was a fair bit of rot around so it wasn't it was it was a difficult year and uh, as someone who who's relatively new not to making wine because you've been doing that you know for for um, well over a decade now but but uh, to to kind of running a wine business um how do you uh, prepare yourself for the uh, those kind of um, swings and round of uh, roundabouts I'm not sure how I prepared myself, really. I just kind of got on with it. And um, I mean, it helped that I'd been writing as a freelance journalist for a number of years. So um, I understood how, you know, the basics of business worked. Um, although it did take me almost a year before I had anything in one column in my sheet, because um, by the time um, when I started in June in 2020, it was May 
2021 before uh, I received any money for any grapes or any wine I've made. So um, it was nice to see that column filling up. But yeah, I just, you know, take it day by day. I've got some people I speak to who can help me out with various things. Um, but, you know, it's a small business and it's um, it's relatively straightforward at the moment. Good. I mean, you've had amazing support locally uh, from around Cambridge, haven't you? I mean, yeah, I mean, in terms of starting at home, um, my wife and my family here have been utterly supportive of, of what I've done. Um, and then, you know, Cambridge is a great city in terms of uh, its its sort of wine and food and drink culture. So, you know, just around the corner from where I live, there's a, an independent wine merchant called Grape Britannia, one of the leading uh, English and Welsh wine merchants in the country. And Matt's been to come and taste with me and uh, give some uh, feedback and he's he was he stocked the Chardonnay which I was really happy about um, I'm, I'm working with a couple of local restaurants as well and Noel Young Wines just out of town so there's you know there's a lot of um, energy about what I'm doing which is great and uh, will you make a sparkling wine because you mentioned that so much focus is on English uh, and I suppose Welsh to an extent uh, sparkling wine is is that something that's on your to-do list I won't be making a traditional method English sparkling wine anytime soon um, for a number of reasons. I might make a pet nat at some point. I don't have one at the moment. We'll see. Right. OK, that sounds uh, intriguing. Uh, I, I wrote a column for Club in the Logique last summer sort of arguing that we need to kind of stop comparing English wines um, with those elsewhere. Uh, in this uh, context, I was talking about comparing English sparkling wine with champagne, but um, I, I think it probably applies to still wines as well. Um, I, I, the comparisons can be a bit boring now, I think, rather than flattering. What would you say on that? Yeah, I mean, it's like comparing um, the Stone Roses to James or Blur to Oasis. It's fun for two minutes and it, it pricks people's ears up. But um, actually, uh, I think you need to take everything on its own merits. And um, yes, of course, there are benchmarks. But um, I think everyone's a bit bored of that, aren't they? I would argue that as well. Did you say, by the way, that um, th these great names that you've got, I want to be adored, um, is that a limited edition for one vintage? You, you won't bring that name back? Yeah, and it'll really, it, it will really annoy anyone who stocks the wines in the future because they'll, <laughs> they'll change names every year. So, yeah, that won't be back. None of them will be back. So I'm working on some names for the... In fact, I've, I've got the list, but um, they're, they're under wraps at the moment for okay. the... Um, for the future releases why are you uh, doing it that way then because each wine's it's all it's, it's a different wine the, the 22 backers sorry the 21 backers will be different from the 20 backers yes it's the fruit from the same vineyard yes it's been made in the same way but the fruit was at different levels of ripeness uh some of the oak was different you know i've used um similar yeasts but you know everything um ferments in its own way so for me it's a different wine right and do you have a wine making philosophy uh, as such yeah try not to mess it up right <laughs> that would work yeah <laughs> um, uh, one final question uh, you mentioned uh in the context of of sort of local support you had a kind of launch event in cambridge um and uh, in the windmill um and your wife uh, ellen did some uh, feng shui on the winery uh, to make <laughs> it look a bit more uh, presentable um what does feng shui on a winery entail getting all of my rubbish that was in um old um wooden wine boxes stacked up um there was a system i'm a virgo so there was a system but um getting that into some nice metal cabinets that could be closed off so people don't have to look at various tools and bits of equipment and things and yeah just generally um 
changing the lighting a bit so it was less industrial, a bit more um, wine bar-y, that sort of thing. So I've got two lighting modes now. So if I'm having a tasting, I, it can be a bit more seductive and, uh, and a bit more chilled. If I'm actually working, I can, you know, it'll be like putting the big light on. Ah, okay. I was going to say it sounded a bit like a, a tidy up rather than feng shui, but actually the lighting <laughs> and everything else—that's all about creating a mood. So yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll take exactly. that. Um, it's brilliant to um, to hear how well it's gone, um, and uh, wonderful to taste the wines. You have to be really quick to get hold of uh, these wines. Will you up your production uh, at some point? Yeah, I mean that's the plan. The plan was last year to to produce a bit more, and David, I have produced a little bit more. But um, not as not as many more bottles as I was hoping due to the lousy vintage as much as anything. Um, but this year, yes, um, I'm hoping to produce twice as much as I did in 2020. So there'll wow. be more around for people to people to get hold of. Excellent. Well, that spreadsheet, uh, there's definitely going to be a lot more in the uh, the positive column, I think. Excellent. Uh, That's good. Uh, fairly soon. So, um, listen, I'll leave you uh, to, uh, to to get on. But um, thank you so much for uh, the update. Uh, good luck with uh, uh, the wines uh, for this uh, coming year. And I can't uh, I can't wait to, to taste them. Chris, thanks very much for joining us again on The Drinking Hour. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world. Just before we go, it's time for some medal winners, as always, from the IWSC Hall of Fame uh, 2021. And first, it's to Japan for a gold medal winning Koshu, uh, Chateau Mars, Makioka Koshu 2020 from Hombo Shuzo from uh, the Yamanashi Prefecture. Uh, if you're uh, not familiar with Koshu, it is well worth discovering. Um, the grape came to Japan via the Silk Road uh, more than a thousand years ago, but it was uh, used for a long time as a, an eating grape, a table grape. 95% uh, of those grapes are grown in the Yamanashi region, which is protected from the humidity and monsoons by uh, massive Mount Fuji. Uh, the region has a climate not dissimilar to the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, Australia. So pursue, uh, producers go to uh, great lengths uh, training the vines uh, to prevent uh, disease and covering them with these incredibly cute little paper hats uh, that stop the rainwater uh, starting rot uh, within the vines. Uh, you have to look up some pictures, really. But uh, the judges said of this, an exquisite aromatic nose opens with light florals and a touch of spice. The palate delivers the sensation of biting into a fresh, crunchy pink lady apple. Uh, juicy and refreshing with a lifted lychee note singing above a delicious wine and uh, i would uh, i haven't tasted this one but it certainly sounds like uh, one to discover uh, who doesn't love uh, a chablis well uh, we were talking about chablis uh, with chris in the context of his uh, new chardonnay and that uh, comparison that had been uh, drawn by uh, roger jones here's a silver medal winner to look out for uh, Domaine de la Motte uh, was a silver medal winner with 91 points in the 2021 judging process. Uh, they described an enticing nose offering complex layers of confit lemon, fresh thyme, orange peel, Williams pear and roasted hazelnut. A classic yet stylish example, richly textured and beautifully focused. And staying in France, but uh, heading down a bit to the Rhone, uh, a Cornas uh, 2017 from Vidal Fleury. 
uh, a silver medal winner. Um, Cornass is a renowned, uh, relatively small appellation of the uh, Northern Rhone. Uh, the judges described a terroir-driven expression delivering a spectrum of concentrated dark fruits complemented with a touch of cinnamon and nutmeg. Firm tannins provide a supportive structure to create a luxurious yet smart wine. Next, it's to Italy uh, for Palazzo Grimani 2018 from Corte Giara. Uh, this is an Amarone della Volpolicella, uh, DOCG. Uh, that's a traditional blend of uh, Corvina, uh, Rondinella and Molinara. Uh, this won a silver medal with uh, 91 points. The judges describe a concentrated nose of candied plums and red fruit compote with hints of vanilla and cinnamon giving it complexity. Smooth mouthfeel packed with intense fruits and integrated tannins, they said. And finally, uh, to the other side of the world, Chile's distinctive grape Carmenere, which uh, originated in uh, Bordeaux but was kind of wiped out by phylloxera uh, 100 or so years ago. Uh, here's a bronze medal winner, Casas del Bosque, uh, Reserva Carmenera 2019. Uh, the judges here describing broad menthol and eucalyptus nose with sweet, ripe black fruits, uh, fresh acidity and rich mouthfeel. And that one, if you want to, if you haven't tried Carmenera before, then a uh, good place to start. That's available at the Oxford Wine Company. And that is it for another edition of The Drinking Hour here on Food FM. My thanks uh, to Chris Wilson. Uh, do try his wines. Uh, you can go to the, his website, gutterandstars.co.uk, uh, but you've got to be quick because, as you heard, they uh, sell out rather fast. Um, and it's a very limited uh, production for the time being. Uh, well worth doing so, though. Um, and you can follow us at Food FM Radio on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm Mr. Venusaurus on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, for now, though, it's uh, goodbye from me. Thanks for listening. The Drinking Hour on Food FM. You're listening to The Drinking Hour with David Kermode in association with the International Wine and Spirit Competition, using the best in the world to judge the best in the world.